This podcast is brought to you by Electric Power Systems. EPS is a leading provider of high-power, scalable powertrains that are certifiable for electrified aviation. It develops energy storage systems, DC fast charging stations, and electric propulsion products for aerospace, defense, automotive, marine, and industrial traction industries. Welcome, everyone, to this week's rendition, or this episode's rendition of the Aviation Renaissance. Big shout-out to Spencer, my co-host, for creating that new song. Kind of get you pumped, get you a little loosey-goosey for listening to some really intelligent people and Spencer Wright talk today. So uh, I dabble in EDM. Yeah, well, that's good. That was good EDM. Yeah, I'm, I'm I like excited. it. excited. So we'll get right to it. Uh, we're going to do a shout-out to investor, partner, collab, friend of ours, and uh, has a connection to our guest today, and that is the Boeing Company. We actually have a current Boeing Company here with us here on our 25th episode. It's not the company. He's just an employee. Yes, but he. I said connection. This is our 25th episode, and we want to welcome Aaron Black from the Boeing Company. And I should have asked you for your title here in this somewhat informal introduction, but Aaron Black, please tell your story to the people. Spencer and Spencer. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I would tell you my title, but it's far too long to comprehend. <laughs> Just um, summarize it. Yeah. Is there yeah. like an acronym for it? or? Well, there's uh, Applied Innovation. So Boeing Research and Technology, Applied Innovation Portfolio Principle. And that just basically means I work with startup companies like EP Systems. The um, title of your, your title is as like as long as the name of my first car. <laughs> it was a Grand Marquis Colony Park station wagon. Wow, that is impressive. Actually, yeah. out of all the titles I've had in my career, the words probably don't match how long your single title is. That's so. a long. That's also a long car physically. <laughs> it, like, it was twenty-seven and a half feet long. <laughs> I measured it. Twenty-seven feet long. Yes. Okay. We're done talking about my car, Aaron. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> no problem. I think you know I get sidetracked pretty easily, so this will be a, a fun okay oh, conversation. Good. Join the so. company. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I work at Boeing, and uh, I worked with EPS for the last three years, and uh, it's just a terrible company. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. You guys have been absolutely fantastic <laughs> to work with. <laughs> is, it, is it kind of disheartening that my first reaction is to laugh when we should have had our jaws at the floor? Please, Aaron, ter- tell us we, why we're so terrible. We've, we've had a lot of fun. No, you guys are great to work with um, and have been great partners. Um, I've, I've worked with you guys on quite a few projects. Um, we can talk about some of those, uh, I think, but... Let's let's start with uh, what you're doing, sure for Boeing, not for EPS, for but Boeing. what you're doing for Boeing right now. Okay, um, why don't I? I'll start at the beginning of Boeing. Maybe we can just do like life, the life of Aaron. Let's how let's, I ended up at Boeing. So I always do go. this. Yes, he does. Okay, let's start with fourteen-year-old Aaron Black. Okay, where were you living? What were you doing? Okay, fourteen-year-old Aaron, uh, I was probably a freshman in high school. Um, went to a very small high school in uh, rural Oregon. What part? Uh, uh, the town is called Cloverdale. Most people recognize the city Tillamook, 
because mm-hmm. of the fantastic dairy cheese. products and cheese and, and jerky. Stuff. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the high school football team of Tillamook was called the Cheesemakers, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I always thought was super lame. The Cheesemakers? That's an awesome mascot if you love cheese. If you're lactose intolerant, it's horrible. It's pretty bad. It's yeah, it's, it is actually offensive. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so I grew up there. Um, high school, blazed through high school, went to school at Oregon State. Okay. Uh, both my parents went there. Mm. Beavers. And so I just, just kind of went there. Um, beaver believer. Wait, another question that we always ask our guests. Yeah, beaver believer? How many degrees do you have? I have a single degree. Oh. Oh. Well, that's still more than me. This is so wonderful. It's all good. This what, is wonderful. Okay. So you went to Oregon State. Oregon State, yeah. Um. I'll back up a little bit. I think an important piece of this is in high school, um, I was a pretty big nerd and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life other than play Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons. So both of them are making a comeback right now. It just got really nerdy in here. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I joined this club at school where we would get computers donated to the school. We did not have good hardware. Like schools kind of get, we don't have budget for good hardware, right? So my friends and I would tear down all these computers and pick out all the best hardware, mix and match the hardware and make new good computers out of the scraps. (laughs) Perfect. So that was kind of the, I think the beginning of my love for hardware. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, great. I think I'll do computer science when I go to Oregon State. Mm -hmm. So I jumped into computer science and... The first semester, there are all these programming classes, and I'm like, software stuff is lame. It sounds horrible. <laughs> just, it's a black art. That's I just want to work on hardware. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I didn't do very well. Um, I didn't do very well during that time, and I ended up doing so poorly that I temporarily dropped out of school. Wait a minute. Mm. Did you have a 0.25 GPA like this gentleman over here? Oh, it was worse than that. No way. Yeah. How do you beat that? Oh, it we was, gotta do the math now. It was sub 2.0 oh, wow. for a while there. So No, 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 no. I said point. Yeah, I had a point two five. Oh. Point. Oh, no. Decimal place matters in engineering, <laughs> You Aaron. win. You win. Spencer wins. <laughs> All right. But it was sub 2.0, which to most, one. To, right. to most academic people, <laughs> yeah. sub 2.0 means you don't exist as a student. Yeah, so you're failing everything. We would have been buds. That's so, what it would have been. Yeah. You're yeah. failing everything. So I failed everything. <laughs> and then I went, I decided, you know what, maybe I should just get a job. So I went to work at Hewlett Packard, which is in Corvallis there. Mm-hmm. And I was working in the clean room. Mm. So I got to wear a bunny suit. And um, I had some good times in there. I was young and did some... Pretty stupid things. As um, we all do. Such as, let's wear the largest bunny suit possible <laughs> and then plug every single end of it except for one and let's put that one end on the vent of this $2 million machine and puff up like the State Puff Marshmallow Man. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> so just sitting there like, all inflated. People would walk by. It was like a glass. It was like a fishbowl being in there. Glass. People walk that's by awesome. in the hallway and stare at me and turn their head sideways like a dog that's just curious. So anyway, I had some, had some fun there for like a year and a half. Uh, got my crap back together again. Yeah. Got back into school. I'm like, you know what? I really like that engineering stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to apply to go to the engineering, mechanical engineering school. 
GPO is too bad. They didn't want me. So yeah, I'm like, I go, I go to that. the industrial engineering school and they're like, yeah, we need more people. So they let me in with a caveat and mm-hmm. I had, I had to set this up. They wouldn't let me in. I'm like, Hey, how about this? How about if I promise to get a 3.0 or above for the next two years straight, you will not drop me from this program. And they did it. Oh, awesome. So I negotiated my way into the program and then I did it. So after that, uh, I did pretty well. I got like a three, five average and then almost my, my whole goal, my set a goal for myself. I was like, I want to strive for a 3.0. I want to graduate with the 3.0. Guess what? Hmm. I got a 2.99. No. (laughs) We'll Uh, round. We'll round. So, so school. Yeah. School and I, uh, C's gets we, degrees, we have our right? differences. Uh, <laughs> I got through it and I found that I really learn best on my own. Mm. Um, I had to learn for myself from a young age, how to do a lot of things myself without help. And, uh, so anyway, I operate very well like that mm. and I've just kind of, I'm not super interested in school. I'd rather learn on the job and do fun things while I'm doing it. I'm very similar to that. I just, I, sitting in a brick and mortar classroom. It's, it's even worse for me trying to sit online and try to do online school. It's, it's horrible. I'm a hands-on person. I've, I learned through experience and, uh, college is not for me. Same. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I like to work with my hands too, which that gets into, gets into Boeing now. So did you leave college and go right to Boeing? I did. And you know what I told myself right before I graduated I want to go work for a startup. <laughs> that is the complete opposite yeah, side of the, the spectrum as startup. Because, I mean, they're like 100 plus years now. And I said, I don't want to work for Boeing. <laughs> Yet here you are. And then, <laughs> and then they had a whole bunch of job ap- applications open at that time. Uh, I'm like, yeah, what the hell? I'll apply. And I got a call back next week. I had one phone interview and I was hired. No way. Yep. Wow. One 30 minute phone interview. 787 was ramping up into production at the time. Ooh. Mm. And so I didn't go on to 787 yet, mm. but I, I joined the 767 program Ooh. Um, in the seal test and paint shop. Oh. So uh, first day of work, I walk in in the the factory in Everett, which is, it used to be one of the largest I used to live right off a of casino road, man. <laughs> it is fantastically <laughs> impressive. Mm. Yep. Um, so I walk in and I'm in awe and then they show me my office and it's like this door <laughs> in a door <laughs> and it's like a converted closet that they somehow stuffed six cubicles in <laughs> and the whole team I was working with was stuffed in there and they put me in the corner and I had... <laughs> It's like four feet to the side to side, and then in front of me was a wall, and the sides of me were a wall. How many rounds of Magic the Gathering happened <laughs> in that office? I had uh, I had stopped playing Magic at that point. <laughs> oh, okay. um, I was probably still playing my Xbox when I got home from work, but um, that it was an interesting experience. My one thing I really there's two things I really remember from that. My hiring manager told me, you know. We don't, I don't really expect you to do anything for like two years. <laughs> How do I get that job? <laughs> you're just here, you're just here to learn and you'll, you'll kind of get the hang of it. And, uh, you know, that was, that's really motivating. Cool. 
no. to some type of person, but to <laughs> me, it was super demotivating. Because I'm like hot, coming out of college, I'm like, I want to go do cool stuff. And then I hear that, and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> so Two years. That's that why you should go to a startup, man. When you go to a startup, they're like, here, you've got this job, this job, this job, this job, yeah, and this job. Yeah, kind of jack of all trades. Yeah, you got to do so them all. I... I did that. The other one was uh, I walked into the the director of operations office. I had I had to go talk to him about something. I haven't met him before. I walk in. He has this like forty foot long office with this <laughs> super intimidating table that runs the whole length of it, like a conference boardroom or something. Yeah, and he's down at the far end. I can barely see him. I have to get like a telescope out to see him. <laughs> and he's like, "Son, how old are you? Because you look like you're 13. So those, those are my two those are my when you answered, memorable experiences from my first when, couple months on the job. When you answered, did your voice crack? That would have been even better if it would have. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway. Uh, How did you respond to that? Um, it said, huh? I, like, no. <laughs> as, as a defensive youngster would. As a 13-year-old would to call yeah, as a 13-year-old, yeah. <laughs> You're sliding um, away from your mic. Pull your mic closer. You can move the mic to you. That's better. Closer, getting up close and personal. Our okay. listeners can't can't see this right now, but Aaron has a broken foot, and so he's trying to get comfortable in my chair, and he just keeps slouching further and further and further down. It is a very comfortable chair. It is, I wish it? I had these at my dining table at home. Wayfair, man. Yeah? Wayfair. Yeah. Wonderful. John okay. Okay. Sorry. Okay, so... That was the first six months. I was on the 767 program, and it, it was a little bit boring. It's a, it's a sustaining program. It was dying at the time. Mm. Uh, it's not dying anymore. It got so revitalized by all the freighter orders from mm. FedEx and UPS oh, sure. and the tanker program, KC-46, yeah. Yeah. which 10 years later, I end up on that program, um, which I'll get to. And then So anyway, um, I there was a call for volunteers to go to the 787, and I'm like, Sign me up. I'm going. Yeah. So my management let me go. No way. Uh, I nice. went to 787. It was like just getting started. It was complete chaos and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the early developmental programs, um, there's always stuff to do. You just find work sure. and just do what you're good at and try to make things happen. Um, I was technically part of Changing Corp and Refurb, which is a refurbishment after the initial airplanes are built, they have to go get refurb to bring them up to spec to deliver. So that per, that really never ended up happening as planned. So I ended up being loaned out for four years or three years to various different organizations on 787. And I kind of, when you're loaned out, there's not a lot of oversight. So I as, just kind of went and did the things I wanted to do and did very well at them. Hmm. Um, worked on line one. Mm-hmm. for two years straight um coming in at 4 a.m in the morning to update metrics for for people that come in at six and start their day was that in the everett plant yep in everett um various stinky conference rooms and <laughs> yeah <laughs> fun stuff um there was a strike uh, iam strike during that time and so it's interesting coming in as an engineer with, scab with a like no people in the building. Um, hmm. That was an interesting time. Um, and then, yeah, so the 787 program, uh, line one finally got built. 
we followed it all the way out to the flight line. And the day that it flew. You were sick. I was really close to shedding a tear. Uh Oh, really really close. close. Not quite. Really close. Stephanie got her start at Boeing pretty much on the 787 program, right? It was 767. Is where she was. Well, she? At the I thought Boeing, she was on the 787. Well, actually, you're right. So she had an internship at Delta with the That's 767. Right. That was the first time she got to like touch the airplane. Yeah. But uh, yeah, maybe, maybe I know Suresh too. He did software yeah. for the 787. So yep. nice. A lot of connections there. What year? What years are this? Is this? So started in 2007. So that'd be like 2007 through 2011. Um, I stayed out on the flight line for another couple months and then it was time to try something else. So, uh, ended up moving down to the defense side, um, in Seattle. So at Boeing field in Seattle, there's a, a job opening for a core team, industrial engineering. So more projects working across the company, um, little larger scale. And, uh, I, what I found is also a lot more ambiguous. Mm. So working on a production program with the guys on the shop floor, it's very hands-on, very intense. You get to know them. It's a good community feel. And then going to the core team job, it was a little bit, it was great. Like there was a, a ton of variety of work, but it was so long-term kind of stuff that it was a little demotivating and, and ambiguous. And I couldn't see the effort that I was putting in day-to-day making a difference. So um, I struggled a bit in that job, but I did do a whole bunch of really cool things uh, in that job. I got to go to Turkey um, mm. for the Peace Eagle, which is a, a surveillance aircraft um, and for two months. So that was a really great experience, being able to kind of go abroad internationally for work travel. Was that out of Istanbul? It was out of Ankara, so a little south. That's where their, their Air Force base is. Mm-hmm. And then we worked at TAI. Uh, Turkish Airline Industries, which is a weird blend. It's a huge complex of both commercial and defense. And they do, they have like drone development programs there and all kinds of stuff. So cool. It was a really interesting job. Um, yeah. Uh, did, let's see, transition over to, I'll, I'll speed it up a little to time now. Um, so three years ago, uh, Worked in the, became a lead of that industrial engineering team for a bit, and then um, switched over to KC-46 and led the engineering team there. Oh, the KC-46? Yep, the KC-46. Yeah. I have no idea what that is. The tanker. It's a tanker. Oh, okay. the, the, the Pegasus. The Pegasus. That's a better it. name. Yeah, the Pegasus. So Massive. A horse with wings, so yes. basically. Um, and now another challenging startup program. Um so became a tent manager there for a year and a half, which is longer than a tent manager should be. A tent <laughs> manager. But uh, somehow that happened. And then uh, I think the coolest project that I did was uh, transition the KC-46 from, I led a team, and the team was really supporting a lot in this, to uh, transition it from a craftsman build, which is where you have everybody going to the airplane, it's just parked in one spot, to a pulse line where mm-hmm. you're actually, you have dedicated positions and you're pulsing the airplane uh, on a regular rate from one position to another. So that was a huge project. It took like six months to get all the moving pieces in order and there was a whole bunch to it. Um, became Over the course of this whole time, became an expert in constraint-based scheduling and various other aspects of production system architecture. And so now this year I'm applying for the tech fellowship. Mm, for that's right. Um, so that's right. hopefully... 
um, I'll be able to become a tech fellow this year at the end of the year and uh, be a, a higher level individual contributor. All with a 2.999 GPA. I know, right? Imagine that. You just threw an extra crazy. nine in there. The world is your oyster. So <laughs> how, do, how does that work? Do you apply for a tech fellow? Do you just, is there like exams, tests, like program? How do you become a fellow? It's, uh, you apply. I mean, well, that's, that's the first good. step. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there, it's an extensive process. So you have uh, a very large package. They call it the cap. You have to put that together. It's like multiple pages of your entire work history um, as, you know, here's evidence that I am an expert. And then you go through interviews with existing people that are in the fellowship to make sure you're not faking it. Mm. Um, they kind of, they grill you. And then this whole process takes like a year. Oh. You also have to get letters uh, from outside, inside and outside companies, like six letters uh, of support from other people in your network. I mean, EPS um, would have given you one, but we're a terrible company, so we're out. <laughs> so terrible. Ooh. So terrible. Burning the worst. Bridge. The worst. We're not a terrible company. No. It's a great company, um, and it's been great to work with you guys. So I want to talk more about EPS. So let me um, – my job, last three years. So Horizon X, uh, yep. f- formerly known as Horizon X, we're now Applied Innovation. Um, so, yeah, we work with startups. We work with EPS. Um you make batteries. That we do. I love batteries. They're pretty awesome. I skipped over that whole part in the history. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me, I'll take like a minute and talk about that. So I first fell in love with batteries, I'll say. When I was a sophomore in college, mm-hmm. I worked for University Housing and Dining. And Sounds I, exciting. Yeah, I did, that has I, nothing to do with batteries. Yeah, I did. I did energy audits in the dorms, so well. I was that a hole that walked around with a clipboard, <laughs> and with all my peers in the room, and I would walk through and be like, "Hey, did did you remember to turn the lights off? You got practice <laughs> for being a dad. That's what you did. Turn the thermostat down. Turn, turn your lights off. Turn the lights off. off when you leave the room. So that yeah. Then they found out I was in the engineering program. They're like, "Hey, would you want to make a?" a bike generator demonstrator for, for Earth Day this year. Oh, fun. And I, I'm like, yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> Hardware, yes. Hardware. Yes. So uh, I did that. I made a bike generator. I got a electric motor, and you get on the bike and you pedal it, and I made a little form board with light bulbs on it that when you pedal the bike, it lights up the board. Ooh. And the whole idea was so that you could feel how hard it is to create electricity. Sure. Wow. Like to light up a light bulb, you can actually feel it mm-hmm. through your leg power. And it was really, it was a really cool demonstrator until my friend Corey came out and uh, he was in the IE program with me and he's like, oh yeah, I ride mountain bikes as did I. So uh, at the time he's like, he got, he gets on the bike, he starts pedaling, he starts pedaling, he starts pedaling as fast as he can. And then he smokes my inverter oh. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, Corey, yeah, what did you, <laughs> you just do? broke my bike generator? <laughs> so anyway, that it was a short-lived project. Yeah. <laughs> but then I'm like, you know what? You could just run that in reverse, and you could have an e-bike. Oh, and this was in like 2002 before e-bikes were a thing. Mm-hmm. Really? So wow. I I started learning a lot on. There's this internet forum called the Endless Sphere, where all these original innovators for e-bikes 
lived at the time on the internet and uh, learned a lot. And I ended up starting to build lithium ion battery packs just as a hobby. <laughs> um, like Whoa. in 2003, four timeframe. Oh my goodness. So I've watched a lot of videos on YouTube about these guys that are, you know, cause I started off on the operations floor. So I, well, I've welded a lot of batteries before. Mm-hmm. And every time I watch those YouTube videos of the guys welding like 18650s together, I'm like, Oh boy, I don't want to ride on that thing. It's going to explode in my crotch and that would not be fun. Yeah. It's scary. <laughs> I am, have been really lucky to not have a mishap because on that forum, I read about people that did have mishaps oh, yeah. about the, the blue plasma arc. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden most of, Part of your finger is gone. Yeah. Um, yep. So I, I've been very careful with that. I know it's like a lot of electricity and energy right. in a short amount of time is not a good thing. So, so did you make your wood. batteries out of eighteen six fifty cylindricals? Um, yeah. I I think the first batteries I got were A one two three batteries. They're yep. uh, lithium iron phosphate. Mm-hmm. Um, Fisker Karma was the first car that used those. They used the two different versions. They had a prismatic pouch cell yep. and a, a larger format cylindrical, a weird shape that's not common. But uh, I did a little bit of tinkering around with both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, that was where I started. And then the the 18650 started to become a lot more prolific, and I got it like a spot welder and started making some packs. I made a pack for my motorcycle and my Race, hashtag race car. Hashtag um, race car. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so that that kindled my passion for batteries. And yeah. so I've been working as a hobbyist in the industry for many years. It's kind of fun when you blow a weld for the first time, isn't it? It's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's It's going to go into thermal runaway. It's, oh, no. It's, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. You get used to it, though. Ting, a little to that tingly feeling. Yeah. You, you get used to it? <laughs> You get used to the blown welds, like when you're very first starting learning how to, because CD capacitive discharge welding on lithium ion batteries is totally different than like a MIG TIG stick kind of welding or whatnot. So, but once you get used to it and you get the feel for it, it's actually not that bad and it's pretty easy to do. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yep. So, um, (laughs) that's where your passion for lithium ion batteries came from and your current project without going too much into it um let's talk about that a little bit because it is something that this world desperately needs yeah that is true so there you know boeing is really focused on sustainability a lot right um so we're always looking at uh ways to enhance sustainability um for the company and just in the world in general what problems can we solve um, with the technologies that we have access to. And so we're looking at a problem now, and it's food. You know, The transportation of food would be, I think, really surprising to a lot of people to learn that 14% of all food that is shipped via air cargo goes to waste. That's a huge amount. And That's a lot of food. food. Food is the largest industry in the world. Right. It's like $4 trillion a year. So... It's a massive problem. So that's billions of dollars in waste. It's large num- large quantities of billions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so we're looking at that problem and trying to think about how we can what we could do to help and um, EP systems could be part of that solution too potentially. Um, but yeah, it's it's really cool to be able to work on a big project like that that 
could potentially make a really big difference in the world. I think that's what really got me excited coming to electric power systems, right? I spent 12 years in the military and then transitioning out, I went from construction job to construction job. And then I was able to use, utilize my fabrication experience to get hired on in electric power systems. And I didn't really understand what they did when I first started. But now that I'm two and a half, almost three years deep into it, I'm like, this is very impactful and it's very exciting. Yeah. It's, it's, Okay, yeah, let's talk about the future. Yes. This gets me so pumped, man. I love talk I love thinking about the future and like where I mean batteries at face value may be boring to some people, but the things that they are enabling even today, you know, you look at Tesla and car they started something and now everybody, all the car companies are reacting now and you know, twenty thirty five. Yeah. Most car companies will be either 100% electric or very close to it. Right. Um, most of the major car companies have made that their mission now. Which is interesting, too, because the first like electric vehicles, when they first started back in the 1800s, were huge and popular. Yeah. And it was, it was gas and oil that pushed them out. That's right. And, and killed them and squashed it. Can you imagine where we would be today? If electric vehicles back in 1890 would have gotten hold over internal combustion, mm. it, it you can't even fathom where we no, would be right it's, now. It's, that's kind of mind-blowing, actually. Yeah. I have no idea where we would be. It would be a lot farther ahead than we are now, though. But yeah, so so yeah, automotive is kind of the, the lead indicator. Um, aerospace, despite sounding cool, always lags. Right. <laughs> People think it's always the super advanced stuff, but really... It, it's big ideas, but it's actually like pretty old technology typically. Um, but yeah, we're catching up, right? And so in aviation, um, you're already seeing, you guys well know, I think you've talked about this on some of your other podcasts, um, trainers. You yeah. Know, yeah. General mm-hmm. aviation and trainers are already right. starting to convert over. Um, there are mathematical mathematical equations that sort of dictate that the heavier an airplane is, the less useful or less likely it's going to be to convert to full electric. Sure. So the bigger it gets, the the worse the case gets. And you have to have some pretty good advances in, in chemistry to be able to get a large airplane like a 737 or a even larger to convert over to full electric. Like that, there is... Not really a great path to that. No, there's right definitely <laughs> definitely constraints. And yeah. and that's the thing about this industry, though, is especially with electric aviation. And even our CEO, Nate Milliken, he's very upfront about, like, yes, that is the goal, but it's not attainable right now. Yeah. It's very open and very transparent. And we can do this, yep. but we can't do that. And that, it's, that's totally, I mean, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. And you look at the rate of progress, though with uh chemistry and lithium ion batteries like one of my other companies cuberg they have a lithium metal uh cell that has been tested at it's better than 50 percent more energy of what is currently available like in automotive sure so there's already companies that are scaling up production that offer a 50 percent increase in energy and you look at that across time you can start just like People do stock market trends, right? Mm-hmm. There's an average percentage of growth in energy year over year, mm-hmm. and it's sure. like four to five percent. So if you 
just track that line out, there is a path in the future to get to full electric aviation for, for longer ranges. And in the meantime, uh, it's going to be shorter range. And sure. so that, that's why like trainers work right now. But even that shorter range uh, capability on electric aviation is going to open up a huge things for rural communities, yeah. for people that don't have access to aviation, um, transportation in third world countries. I mean, we say it all the time on this podcast and you're in the aviation industry and it, you look at it and it's like 20% of the people in the world have flown and the world population is seven plus billion. So it's like, I look at myself and don't consider myself a wealthy individual, but in the ability to hop on a plane and fly, we're like that rich group of people that can do that. And we don't want it to just stay in that category. We want to expand it to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Proliferate that technology. So yeah. And that's what technology is for, right? To make everybody's life easier and making that more accessible is a, a, Awesome goal. So I got one question for you before we kind of start wrapping this up. You got to tell me about the uh, avocado conference in Hawaii that you went to. (laughs) (laughs) I do my research, Aaron. (laughs) You're close. Okay, so so I went to Fruit Logistica in uh, Berlin. Oh, I was way off. Yeah. Well, but avocado. Avocado. Oh, there are plenty of avocados there. The... (laughs) What is the Chiquita? Chiquita bananas. bananas? Yep. They actually had a Chiquita banana, like the, you know, the picture on the label? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The beautiful woman with the right. banana hat thing. Yep. She was there. No yeah. Way. Were you starstruck? Uh, I was. I was like, They Chiquita. brought a mascot <laughs> for bananas. Yes, it's a this big is deal. Amazing. There were like 40,000 people so there. So this is way off I'm of aviation. You, but wow. food, food <laughs> is the biggest industry in the world. Mm. And is that why you deal. went? Yeah. Just for food? Well, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate, there, there please. Was, there no. was a business goal in mind. Yeah. Oh, so okay. we're So we're trying to learn about air shipping, um, air freight, and how our customers' customers behave. So sure. we don't always hear everything from our customers, but if right. we go one layer deeper and understand what their customers want, maybe we can crack this nut on... Can, sure. we, can we help solve this? Like getting to the farmers yeah, and speaking farmers, with them. Exactly. And the, gotcha. the freight forwarders are a big right. deal too. So we Able Freight took us out there. They're based in LA. And uh, they were really helpful for uh, showing us around that I, conference and introducing us. My brother-in-law works in the uh, cheese industry and he has for quite a long time. And he's always talking about how like he's very concerned about shipping their product overseas because it's like how are we going to do it and not have spoilage mm-hmm. especially on a, a dairy product yeah yeah it's hard exactly yeah so at the airport is where the problems usually happen mm-hmm. um so if you can keep it cool um at the airport and not have those temperature excursions it's crazy like one one degree over the optimal temperature you use you lose one day of shelf life Whoa. really yeah or a day and a half, uh, if you're talking berries. Okay, so I have a question for you because it sounds like you've obviously done a lot of research on produce and how to ship it. I have a bunch of potatoes and carrots growing in my garden in the backyard. I'm going to store them down in my cellar. What temperature do I need to keep them at? Oh, there's go online. 
No, I want it from you. He's giving you <laughs> I the can, resource. Teach I can Amanda go. Fish. I can okay. go online all day, but I've got the source right here in front of me. Potatoes and carrots are out Apples. of my realm of expertise because Apples. they're too. They're not lucrative enough to ship via air. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I don't know, but there are resources online. You can find the optimal storage temperature for anything online. Sweet. And, uh, there is that temperature. There's like a perfect temperature. So I, I, I mean, I'm actually very interested in this. So okay. when we're done with this, you give me that information and I'm going to link it onto this podcast so people can uh, go and check it out if they want to listen to it. I, ha- I know it has nothing to do with electric aviation. Well, it sort of does. But I think it would be good information for people. Sounds great. Okay. So uh, we're about out of time. It's been really good to have you on, Aaron. Um, give you a couple of minutes to kind of give us your final thoughts on the final on, uh, countdown. No, it's not the final countdown. Final thoughts on on your experience at Boeing so far and working with electric power systems. Yes, uh, Boeing is a it's an amazing company. Um, you will you will always be able to find whatever you want to do. Like I started out not knowing what I wanted to do and I found it Mm. and uh, there's always opportunity. It's such a big company. You can move anywhere and then find what works for you. So that's my plug. Um, Of course I've worked there for like 14 years and uh, I'm super happy. And uh, yeah, working with EPS has also been great. Um, I think some of the things I haven't said are that in my view, I think you guys are the only company that's doing what you're doing. Um, you are out there in front leading. You have a modular uh, architecture that is really game-changing. It's going to enable all kinds of benefits for your customers, like uh, very good performance, um, economies of scale to bring that price down. Um, I don't see anyone else doing that right now. So I think you're in a very good position and you're going to do very well. I don't think that we have any of our competitors also looking at the infrastructure and the mobile microgrid to go along with it because you can buy batteries all day long. But if you don't have the infrastructure or the DC fast charging capabilities like we do, then it's going to take what would be a 20 minute turnaround time off of our infrastructure to who knows how long it would take you to get to a full state of charge. Yeah. Yep, I love that too. And second life for batteries too with your mobile right. stuff is going to be a huge thing too. That's a big thing. Yeah, you're it's able just... to recycle the batteries. And I think you guys are on a great trajectory and uh, we're we're so happy. I'm happy just to work with you guys. And I know Boeing is like really happy to be partners with you. Yeah, we're really happy with them too. So that mm-hmm. wraps up this one. Thank you, Aaron, for being here. It's been a very good conversation. Yeah. Fun times. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. Uh, this is this is my first podcast I've ever done. So it's not that bad, is it? Um, it's actually was, kind of fun. I was a little bit starstruck by, uh, <laughs> by Spencer and Spencer. So, <laughs> um, yeah, great. Thanks for coming on, everybody. This was the Aviation Renaissance with Aaron Bat- Black from the Boeing Company. If you like what you heard, give us a five star review. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, other platforms. You can find us, search us, listen, love, like, learn, all of those kind of things. Go to our website, epsenergy.com, and uh, check us out next week for another exciting episode. Thanks. 
This podcast was brought to you by Electric Power Systems. EPS is a leading provider of high-voltage, high-power, certifiable electric power systems for high-reliability applications. Its mission is to power transportation's electric renaissance by providing smarter, safer, more reliable, lighter, and certifiable batteries.